and a relationship with God. And so please come to us, ask us whatever we can do to help. And for our members too, I don't know how it's been for you, but let me cue this up. How many of you have been working on your, your follow where this past week? Go ahead and, go ahead and raise your, your hand. Okay, like three of you. It's not very encouraging. Okay, no, there's more. But uh, this, this is the phrase that we came up with last week, chick flick PG. And, and I, I made a mistake last week. I shared that I came up with this. I didn't come up with it. I borrowed it from a minister that I respect and admire a lot. But how many of us have been working on our follow where? You know, and it's made a huge difference for me. You know, when you get up in the morning and, you know, you ask the question, what shall I wear? And if you don't know what we're talking about, chick flick, PG, what's that all about? I got news, good news for you. You can go back to the website and watch last week's message. Uh, some of us may need to watch it again because we are poorly dressed, you know, on the inside. That's what we were talking about. But you can go back to the website, start from the beginning, follow one, two, three, four. And then if you want to watch again, part five. But we've been talking about this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and one of the things that we see in our society today is that people really don't know what that means and they, or they have misconceptions of what it means to follow Jesus because they see people around them, they could, there's no way they're in line with Jesus. And it gives Jesus a bad rap. So in part of this process, what we're doing is working on following Jesus the right way, the way he taught. And so this is something we've been talking about. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about, where are you going, Jesus? And last week, we talked about, if you're a follower, what do we wear, Jesus? And today, we're going to talk about the fine print. You ever notice that when you're signing an agreement, and they're at the very bottom, there's like, you got to get your glasses out, or you got to get a magnifying glass out, because it's really small print fine print. Or at the end of a, a commercial, you know how they do this at the end of a commercial when they're selling something and they say, the side effects, right? You ever heard that? And you go, what did they just say? Obviously, it's not good. You know, they slowed it down when the selling points, the benefits, but when it comes to the cost. And Jesus did this because he didn't want to surprise anybody. You know, and all of us would agree there are incredible benefits to following Jesus. Your relationships, you know, if you've got a family, uh, your, your work environment, you know, it, it helps in so many ways. But here I want to break it down for you in this lesson today, the fine print. There is a cost to following Jesus. And he didn't want any surprises. So that's what we're going to look at today. What is the fine print? And it's going gonna, it's gonna to expose something in you that you may not know about yourself, but it could very well help you in this moment today change everything about your future. Because in the fine print, always, Jesus comes in with a blessing. And so in this, this talk we're going to have today is, are you a follower of Jesus or are you just a consumer? Are you a follower or are you just a consumer? And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. And in the last few weeks, we've been looking at narratives from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we've been looking at these narratives of when Jesus invited people to follow him. And he would ask people, you know, that were basically what we would think unqualified. They didn't believe initially. And they were sinners. 
And Jesus invited them anyway. So in looking at this passage in Mark chapter 9, we're going to find out about ourselves. Even if we say we're, I'm a Christian, well, we're going to find out whether you're a real follower of Jesus or you're just a consumer. Because our society is built on being consumers. And that's a lot of what we do. And so we're going to look at that. So let's open our Bibles if you want, or you could, you know, turn on your Bible. If you don't have one yet on your mobile device or on your, you know, tablet or whatever you use, you can download a free version on version. You can download the app, and you can download a version of the Bible and take it with you wherever you go. Highly recommend it. Uh, and, and it's free. I mean, what's not, what's the downside about that? So starting out here, Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. On the, way, on the way, he asked them, who do the people say that I am? I highly recommend you don't ask this at work. Okay? You go into the break room and you say, hey, so what's everybody saying about me? Don't recommend it. You know why? They may say, they're not saying anything about you which might not be even worse, you know. If they're saying bad things, at least they're talking about you, but they might not be saying anything about you. So Jesus asked this question. He knew the answer, but he's drawn out the disciples. So what are the people saying about me? Then in verse 28, the disciples, the apostles replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. So everybody is saying that Jesus is somebody really important, significant. I mean, they had to go to the grave to find somebody to compare Jesus to. That's how awesome Jesus was in people's eyes. And so then Jesus turns the question on the apostles. But what about you? You 12. What do you say? Who do you say I am? Peter raises his hand. Me, 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 me. And he answers, you're the Messiah. And Jesus told them, shh. It's not time to tell anybody yet. Good answer. And this word here, Messiah, it's a, it's, a, it's a Jewish, it's a Hebrew word that means anointed one. And the Greek word for Messiah is Christ. And some of us thought that Christ was Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. Okay, don't laugh. You don't know. I'm, that's why I'm telling you. Okay? Jesus Christ. It, it meant in the Greek, Jesus the Messiah. And the word literally means anointed one. For a Jew to say that Jesus is the Messiah is huge. And at this moment, Jesus goes into an eye-to-eye talk with his disciples about what's going to happen. Now that you know who I am, let me tell you what's going to happen. You ready? Here we go. Verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after and after three days rise again. So now that you know who I am, let me tell you what's going to happen. What's going to happen to Jesus? And he's letting him know beforehand he's going to suffer many things. And he's going to be rejected, and then he's going to be killed. Now, if you were in Jesus' circle, how would that settle with you? And if you're following Jesus, and this is what they're going to do to Jesus, 
And if you follow too close, what does that imply for you? What could that mean for you? They might possibly take you. And so this is a little disturbing for everybody who's following Jesus. Because up until this point, there's huge benefits to following Jesus. Free food, free medical treatment. He'll even cure you of a demon if you have one. I mean, there was incredible things going on in Jesus. And then awesome teaching, life-changing teaching. But then this. And so look what happens. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter, Peter, Peter took him aside, basically took his arm and said, Jesus, can, can I talk to you a minute? Come on, come on over here. I'll take you away from everybody. And he rebukes Jesus. Now, let me just give you a little advice. Don't rebuke Jesus. It's not a good idea. But he did it. He rebukes Jesus. And what he's doing here is he's saying, Jesus, time out. Why are you going negative? Things are awesome. Do you see the crowds, Jesus? Do you see how many people are following us? Why are you going dark? Why are you going dark on us? Don't go dark, Jesus. I mean, we got, we got, we got things going. I'm, I'm, people know who I am. They know my name. I'm very famous. And John, he's a little less famous, but he's famous too. And not only that, Jesus, remember the time that we were out on the lake and there was a storm? Remember the waves and the wind and the storm? You told the storm to be quiet. You stopped the storm, Jesus. You're the Messiah. How's anybody going to kill you? You can stop that from happening, right? So don't go dark. Now, now that we've talked about this, let's go back and talk about something positive. Let's talk about prayer and what you said last week. Let's love one another. Can we talk about that instead of this other dark stuff? No more dying, no more crucifixion, no more of that. Let's just talk about something positive. So let's see Jesus' response. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. So what Peter did, now Jesus rebukes Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Whoa. That's strong. I mean, I don't know if there's a worse thing you could say to somebody than Satan. That's, that's harsh. Now, why do you think Jesus was being so strong with Peter in front of the other disciples? Let's find out. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but you're merely human concerns. Peter, just a minute. Who are you really concerned? Don't hide from me. Let's talk about, because Jesus knows our heart. He knows Peter's heart. Who was Peter really concerned about? Was he really like huge heart for Jesus? No. See, because he was concerned about him, whatever was going to happen to Jesus could happen to him. So he's focused on himself. And basically, it breaks down to this. Peter was being a consumer. And consumers are in it, are in this, for what they can get out of it. So he was bringing out in, in Peter this whole idea that, Peter, you're concerned about human concerns. What are human concerns? What's everybody concerned about? Me? My interests? 
my stuff, my life, my time, my possessions, it's all about me. And Jesus is making a point here. If you want to be a follower, you cannot be a consumer. There has to be a, a change. You have to be thinking about who, and he says it here. You have to be thinking about the concerns of God. And so he, he unleashes it on Peter. And so we, we look at this next verse. He says, and basically, basically what Peter's saying, you're not concerned about what's going to happen to me, Peter. You're really concerned about you. And a lot of what drives the decisions that we make, maybe you're here today because it benefits you. And Jesus knows our heart. He knows why we do things. And it's okay that things benefit us, but let me tell you, at some point when you follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. And that's what he's going to tell us today. At some point in your life, following Jesus is going to cost you something. So let's read on what, what Jesus, now he, he opens up something. Then he says, all right, now that we've talked about all this, i got to do some teaching. And so he calls the whole crowd together. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, okay, so he's talking to both of them. And guess who else he's talking to? Us. So you and I are going to get to sit in on a conversation with Jesus himself, eyeball to eyeball. And I want you to imagine this, that you're sitting there and you're hearing Jesus say this. Because it's huge. What we're about to look at is so profound. It is so life-changing. It could be a defining moment in your life, what we're going to talk about today. So whatever you're doing, if you're texting, if you're checking Twitter, or whatever, you, hey, take a break. This is important. This may be the defining moment for the rest of your life and maybe your eternity. So here's what he said. Whoever wants me to be my disciple, or in other words, follower, must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. So here he's saying here, be my follower. If you want to be my follower, what does it mean? To deny yourself. What, is, what does deny yourself mean? It's not a theological term. You know what it basically means? Later today, you may go get some dinner or lunch, maybe later in the week. And it's funny, you know, they, after you're done eating and you're feeling good, the waitress always comes up and says, would you like dessert? Right? You want dessert? And what do you say most of the time? Right? That's right. No, I, I better not. I, I know to dessert today. Right? You say, no, I'm not going to have any. A lot of you... You know, you say yes a lot, and then that creates. But basically what that is, is it's just saying no to yourself. I want dessert. Who wants dessert? Who wants the three-layer, you know, funnel cake, you know, with, with everything else on top, right? Who wants that? A lot of people want that. I want dessert. I want dessert twice today. But I promise you I'm going to say no to me. And that's what it means to deny yourself. You're saying no to you. But this is bigger than just dessert. This is life. There are going to be times when you're going to have to say no to who? To you. 
big decisions. I know what I want, but Jesus wants something else, and I got to make that hard choice. And so they must deny themselves, and then this last one, take up their cross. Now, for us, you know what this word means, cross? It's, a, it's jewelry. It's a wall hanging. It's a movie. But for them who heard this, totally different. Have you ever smelt the cross? Have you ever been around it, experienced it? See, we've seen movies and there's music and it's, it's a little gory, but I, at this time in the lesson, I could go into detail what it means to be crucified. Some of you would have to get up and leave because it's too much. That's what these people understood. They would leave crosses. The Romans would leave crosses up for days with people hanging on them. The audience was very familiar with what he was talking about. And this made them feel incredibly uncomfortable, what Jesus was saying. Because the Romans crucified people to send a message, do not mess with Rome. And it left a mark on people's understanding. So when he says this, and and the good news, let me just set you at ease, none of us, not a one of us in here today, because of following Jesus, will be crucified. Not one of us. But for them, that's what it meant. That's what it meant. And it was intense. We won't be, so just relax. You're not going to be crucified. None of us. And so people are at this point are saying, you know what? I, I got to go. I'm, the music was good. The, 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 the food was good, Jesus. The healing was good. You healed my mother-in-law, and, you know, I was a little okay with that. But you're saying this, I got to go. I got to get up and leave. And so Jesus says, hey, just, just a minute. Before you go, can I share something with you? Can I, can I give you something to think about? And for those of you who are kind of, you know, pushing back from Christianity, pushing back from following Jesus, let me give you something to think about today for you to reflect on. That's what Jesus is going to do. So, again, check it. This is big, what he's about to say. Verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life. How many of us in here today want to save our life? Is there anybody here who doesn't want to save his life? Just wants, okay, don't raise your hand, but all of us, all of us. That's why you eat what you eat and you do what you do. You, you take, how many of us look both ways before we walk across the street? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. I mean, who, unless you're, you're crazy, you know, and some of us are going like this and we're walking out the street, you know. You, you always, you're, you're looking to take care of yourself. All, this fits for all of us. I do this. I'm, I'm trying to save my life. Everything we do is some shape or form. You go to the doctor. You do a lot of stuff to do what? To save your life. So he's making a pretty obvious statement. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is intense. Here's the reality. Your life, you're going to lose it. It's the eventuality of all of us. This, this 
you're going to lose it. It's the truth. Your life, and you know this, but you don't think about it, your life will come to an end one way or another. It's going to be over sooner or later. You're going to lose your life. But, he says, whoever loses his life for who? For Jesus. And for the gospel will save it. Now, wait a minute. You're talking about what, Jesus? The afterlife. And this is significant because before Jesus in the Old Testament, you know, the Old Testament doesn't talk a lot about the afterlife, doesn't talk a lot about heaven. There's some, you know, references, but it's very small. In fact, there was a group of Jewish followers. They were called the Sadducees. And what they believed is that you live here and then you're done. Your life stops. Jesus comes on the scene and he opens up this whole other side of life. He's saying, listen, there is an afterlife. When you die, there's an afterlife. Do you know that 97% of the Americans, 97% of our population believe in an afterlife? 97% of us can't be wrong, right? Maybe. But what he's saying is, we all believe this. There's an afterlife. But who's going to really teach us and help us with understanding how to get there and how to have the right afterlife? And what Jesus is telling us here, there will be an afterlife. And if you follow me, and you're going to save your life. I'm going to take care of you. We read on. Now, he goes even deeper. And he asks the question, for what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Forfeit means to exchange or pay for. Now let me ask you this question. I want you to imagine this. We see people every once in a while, and they got, they got the car, they got the house, they got the job, they got the girl, they got the guy, they got everything. And you say, man, she has everything, Right? Or he has everything. And then they put him on TV and they do a reality show about him or her who has everything. Now, I want you to imagine, this is what Jesus is saying. I want you to imagine you gaining the whole world. That being you, not them, you. You're on the TV show. You're on the, you have the awesome everything life. Imagine that. You're it. You're, you're the one that everybody's looking at. Well, man, he's got everything. In your school, you go to high school, and, they, and then you're walking around campus, and they say, man, Shane, he's got everything. And he goes, that's right. <laughs> what if that were you? Yet, at the end of your awesome, everything life, you go, I may have lost my soul. And then he, he goes on and he says, or, or what, what, what can, and for us, what would we, what would, would anyone exchange, give an exchange for their soul? You're the, you have the everything life. You have it all together. You're at the end of your life. And then you're looking and you're going, man, I got it all. But wait a minute. I just may have lost my soul in exchange for all this. Now, at that moment, that realization, that moment where you get it, you go, wait a minute, 
all of this versus this, my soul. Ask the question, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Everything. Everything. I don't care who they are, how powerful, how famous, how wealthy, you bring them to the end of their life, you put a camera in front of them, you put a microphone and you say, after you've had this everything life, billionaire next door, what would you give in exchange for your eternal salvation? You know what their answer would be? All of it. All of it. So stop and think about this. Jesus is exposing something huge in our lives. Really, when you break down this me life, my stuff, my situation, is it worth it? If I may forfeit my soul, this is huge. Any, every one of us. This is, this is the answer for everybody, everything. And so here's the mathematical equation. You ready? My soul is greater than my things. Go home and break that down. Go in your closet. Go through your garage if you have one. Go through your stuff. Look online. Check your bank. All your stuff, all of it. Maybe some of you have a warehouse storage place. Go and look at all of it. Which is greater? Which is greater in your life? And are you thinking about this? Because you don't want to think about it too late. So now the audience that was ready to leave is stopping and they're thinking, Wait a minute. Jesus has got a point. Even if I die following him, this is still worth much more. And so he continues, verse 38. And then we're going to wrap it up. He says here, verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So it's as if somebody walks up to you to the street and says, hey, are you with Jesus? What would you say? Now, there's one guy in the group who was very sure of himself, and he could answer this question right away. Am I with Jesus? Will I die with Jesus? He said it. He proclaimed it. What did he say? I'm with you, Jesus. I'll die with you, Jesus. I will never deny you, Jesus. Then what happened a few hours later? That's the good news. Set you at ease a little bit. This, this verse used to haunt me sometimes because there's been times where, you know, you put on the spot or, you know, you got the time to share maybe with some of your friends at school and you say, are you a Christian? Are you a follower? You're, you're put in that, that moment, that moment where you're, you know, is it Jesus or my friends? Is it Jesus popularity? Is it Jesus acceptance at work? Now, I don't have a choice because of my profession. Everybody knows who I am and what I do. There's, un there's uncomfortability the moment I walk in the room. It's like, there it is. 
So I get a pass on this one. Or do we? The good news is Jesus, Peter was in the front row. And did Jesus kick him out of the group once Peter denied him? Did he say, you're out. See, I told you, you're out. What did he do? He forgave him. And he made him the leader of the band. I said, Peter, I forgive you, but don't do that again. Don't do that anymore. Don't be ashamed of me. Stand up for me. Be proud of me. Because in saying something about me, you very well might save somebody who admires you. And they want to know why you are who you are. So tell them about me. So what's the moral of the story today? If we wrap it up. The moral of the story is salvation is free. It costs you nothing. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't do enough good things. You can't be committed enough. You can't get here early enough on Sunday morning to earn your salvation. It's free. He gives it to you. And that's part of the hardest thing for us to wrestle with is because we want to do an exchange. I'll change my life. Still doesn't matter. You can't earn it. Jesus gives it. Salvation is free. It costs us nothing. But, but, following Christ will eventually cost you something. And you know, the interesting thing is, it's different for each one of us. Even Peter was in this moment, and, and, and he was asking, you know, the, one of the last exchanges with Jesus, because Jesus told him, he said, Peter, when you get older, someone's going to lead you where you don't want to go. And you know what Peter did? He goes, Lord, what about him? And he was talking to John, talking about John. He says, John, what about John? What, aren't we going to do this together? Whatever I have to do, doesn't he do? And he said, listen, you worry about you. You worry about following me. But Peter, it's going to cost you. So let me just tell you today, following Jesus, it's going to cost you. That's the fine print. He wanted to let him know beforehand, it's going to cost you. At school, when it comes to that moment where you're figuring out what's what and who's who and who to fit in with, who not to, at home, when you're with your kids, when you're at work, when you're on vacation, there's going to be that moment when you get the offer, something's going to happen, and you're going to have to make a decision. What do I do? See, because all of us, all of us, they, we go through a crossroad. There's a, there's, a, there's a divide in the road, and it's clear. This is what Jesus wants, and this is what I want. See, for me, I had absolutely no desire to live in the big city. None. Grew up in a small town, wanted to live and die in a small town. But I came in contact with Jesus, and he says, I got another plan for you. Not only are you not going to grow up and live and die in a small town, you're going to live in some of the largest cities in the world, the biggest. You're going to live in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and it's like this with people. There are people everywhere. They're on top of you almost. 
And you're going to ride public transportation with those people. And it's going to be like this. People are going to touch you. You know, you're going to, you know, I don't want to be here. They're not trying to touch you. It's just they're all over you. There's no personal space in these big cities. They back off my space. No, they're in your space, in your face. Remember when I was a college student, this equation. You know, I was a junior in college, and they have upperclassmen housing. You get a suite with a refrigerator, an apartment, and a bathroom to yourself, and you share it with one other person. And I remember my brother-in-law, and he, he sat down with me, and he said, you know, we need you to live in the big house. I said, what do you mean the big house? Yeah, the freshman dorm. But I'm a junior, dude. Yeah, but you're a follower of Jesus. And those kids need Jesus now. And he said, you don't have to. I'm just asking you, would you consider it? And I went home that night. And, and let me just tell you guys, I went home that night from college, and I'm like, dang, I'm older than these guys. It stinks. You share a bathroom with 50 other guys. It's old and tired. There's roaches. It's nasty. And you're with freshmen. Got any freshmen in the house? I had to think about it. And you know what? I knew it. I knew it. This is what Jesus wants. This is what I want. And from that moment on, I understood what it means to follow Jesus. I can't do what I want. I need to do what he wants. Now, let me tell you the good news. I moved into the dorms, the, the underclassmen. What a ride for two and a half years. What an incredible, incredible two and a half years that I had. Building friendships, changing lives. If I could do it over my way, I'd do it Jesus' way because it was incredible. It was awesome because I got to experience what he's talking about. There's a price to pay, but even the price that you pay is worth it. Let me break something else down for you. Remember when Jesus says, deny yourself? You know who your greatest enemy is? You know who's the source of all your relational problems? You've wasted so much time blaming it on your wife, on your husband, on your coworker, on your supervisor, your boss. You've blamed it on everybody, the neighbor, the barking dog. That's the source of all your problems. You blame your children. You blame your parents. You blame everybody else. The truly wise man or woman reaches a moment and they say, you know what? The reason why my relationships haven't worked out all these years, me. I'm the source of the problems. And that's what led me to follow Jesus. Because I understood I'm the problem. I'm the common denominator for all the conflict that I've had with my parents, with my friends, with everybody. I'm the, there's even a passage in the Bible that talks about that. What causes fights and quarrels among you? James chapter 4. Do they not come from within you? We talked about that in that series a long time ago. Remember, it came from within? 
Jesus is saving us from that. By denying yourself, by saying no to you and saying yes to Jesus, not only are your relationships going to be awesome, he's going to protect you from who? Your worst enemy. You. I'm my worst enemy. I'm the one that causes all the problems in my life. So Jesus is saving me from all that. So I want to share a story with you. I've shared a couple, but I want to share one more story. When you go through this, when you're at that, that, that divide in the road, you're going to feel like it's a moral imperative. I got to do this. It's not what I want to do, but I got to do this because it's where I need to go. And I know I feel that tug. You know, you feel it inside of you. When my brother-in-law told me that, I knew it. I knew it. When I felt God calling me to go live in the largest cities in the world, overpopulated, overpolluted, overrun cities in the world, I knew it. That's where I need to be. And you know, for a lot of you today, I'm 100% confident you're going to do the right thing. I know it. I mean, I'm so proud of some of my members in church when they get offers of five-figure raises at their jobs or promotion, and they say, nope. It's not worth it because I'm going to have to give up my family. I'm going to have to give up time with my kids. It's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. You know, I can get this promotion. I can get this deal. I can get this job. I'm not going to do it. I'm so proud of those people. But there are some others that I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned with you because you're wavering. You may have decided to follow Jesus at one time, but you're going backwards. You denied yourself a lot for a lot of years, but now not so much because you figured it out. Today, I'd like for you to go home and wrestle with yourself and wrestle with Jesus and wrestle with those gnawing questions. See, because you've got an email, you've got a text message, you've got a meeting, you've got a phone call, you've got something that you've got to take care of. And you're saying to yourself, why is he talking about this today with me? No, this isn't me talking to you. This is a conversation you're having with Jesus about following him. At that, at that moment, at that intersection where you could go with Jesus or you could go with what you want, it's at that moment you will know whose you are. Are you Jesus's? Are you God's? Or are you your own man, your own woman? And then here's another thing it's going to feel like. It's going to feel a little like a death. Mm, man, I wanted to do this. Those first few months when I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, it wasn't fun. It was hard. I went through culture shock. It's polluted, crowded. I didn't even speak the language. These people are, la, 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 la. and I'm like, what? I can't speak this. I can't do this. I can't even order food. You know? This is totally different. I, I don't know anybody here. These are all brand new relationships. I remember offering up, say, God, I'm going to do this. And then a few months later, fully fluent. 
changing lives. My life's changed. But it feels like a death. It feels like a part of you is dying. It is a defining moment for you. Whose you are. Are you Jesus's? Are you your own person? So, before we wrap it up, at the end of that whole conversation, what do you think those people who walked away that day and said, nah, it's too much? I'm a teenager. There were people in the audience who were teenagers. They, they looked at that conversation with Jesus and they said, dude, I'm a teenager. I got my whole life in front of me. I can't do this. And they walked away. A year or so later, Jesus died exactly as he said he would and was raised from the dead. And when they started proclaiming the fact that Jesus, Jesus was raised from the dead, those people who sat there and walked away asked themselves the question, if I could do it over again, I think I'd have followed Jesus. And if you're in that situation today, you don't have to wait until it's too late. If you're a guest here today, just do some thinking about your life. It's between you and God. This isn't me pressuring you. This is you dealing with reality. Your life is going to end. How's it going to end for you? How's it going to go for you? There will be an evaluation. And Jesus is telling us, I died so that you wouldn't have to face judgment. I want to share one last story. This is John F. Kennedy Museum in Boston. This was the defining moment for me and defining moment in my wife and I's relationship. It was one evening, it was probably, I think, uh, 25 years ago. And right here on this little platform, I asked Laura to be my girlfriend. Right there. Right there. But you know how our conversation went? Let me break it down for you. This, this was a defining moment for me in our relationship because I said, Laura, I want you to be my girlfriend, but let me tell you what my plans are. Because this may mean to make it or break it in our relationship. It was, it was a tough conversation, but I, I felt like I needed to tell her. I'd tell her the fine print of the, the relationship. I said, Laura, I'm on track to be a missionary. I'm training to be a missionary, and I want to go to Latin America and give my life to Jesus in some of the largest and the most dangerous cities. Are you open to that? Because if not, let's just be friends. But if you are, I want you to be my girlfriend. And I even threw it out there. You shouldn't do this. I think I said, I think our relationship's got a lot of future in it. But I need to know. And you know what she said? You know what she said in that conversation? She said, I'm not only willing to do that, I'm willing to give my life for Jesus. And you know how you can look in somebody's eye and tell, boy, they mean it. And she backed it up. She's backed it up all the way. I fell in love with her even more that evening we sat out there on that balcony because I said, man, she's more passionate about Jesus than, than me. 
And that was the foundation of our relationship. When you build anything on Jesus, he said it this way, you build your life on my teaching, decision for me, it's on solid rock. The storms may come, the hard times may come, but it's on solid rock. But if you build your life on you and what you want, when you want it, it's on sand. And you know what happens to a house built on sand when the storm comes? So how about you? What does this mean for you? Where does this land for you? Are you really ready to give your life? Who are you following? Are you a consumer Christian? Or are you a real follower of Jesus? That you're, you look at what we're doing as a church, you look at what you're doing as a follower of Jesus, this is so big. My whole life is defined by Jesus. I'm all in. This isn't something I do on Sunday morning. This is something I do all week. I'm all in with Jesus. Where's this land? And again, the question is, what can you give in exchange for your life and your soul? Everything. That's what you would do. So wherever you're at, let me just encourage you. If this is hard for you, just follow. Just follow. Just do it. Maybe you're not ready to go all in and dive off the, the high dive, but I'm just saying take a step in Jesus' direction. Take a step in Jesus' direction. Do the little thing. Tomorrow, wake up in the morning and start your day. I'm going to wear the follow wear. I'm going to talk to that person at school who I need to talk to and redefine our relationship. I'm going to talk to that person at work and redefine our relationship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what Jesus has, has been gnawing at me to do in my conscience. And we're going to take the communion now to close out. I thought it would be fitting for us to take the communion. Because Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done ten times more. See, because when he tells you to give his, your life, what did he do? We read it here. For the grace of God has appeared, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to who? Ungodliness, but it also teaches us to say no to who? To me, to ourselves. And those appetites. To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Who started this whole thing of giving? Jesus did. He gave everything for you, for me. You know, that makes it a lot easier for me to give my life for Jesus because he gave it all. And I don't have as much as he has. I never will. He was like this with God, and he put it all on the table. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Isn't that awesome? We're God's very own. We're Jesus' very own. We're like this. We're close. And that moment when you're on your deathbed, 
or in that moment you're facing the hardest situation you can imagine in your life, Jesus says, I will be there with you. And you don't have to be afraid. Even if you lose your life, I'll be in your corner. I'll be there with you, eager to do what is good. This is huge. It may be tough, but when you're a follower, not a consumer, you're ready to do good. And I appreciate so much, so many of you who are ready to do good. It's an awesome thing about our church. People come up and they say, hey, what can I do to help? Or when a need arises, they don't even ask. They just step up and they show up. And they're ready to serve. Or a need in our community. There's a disaster, whatever it is. So let's keep that up because Jesus gave it all. Let's pray for the communion. Father, we thank you so much for this conversation that we could have with Jesus. Help us to to see where this lands for us, what we're holding on to, what we're fighting with, who's really the source of our conflict. We pray that you'll please help us, God, to to truly follow Jesus and let go of the things that we're doing to consume and, and, and thinking about ourselves. God, we lift him up right now. We remember what he did for us, God, as we take the bread. It reminds us, God, of Jesus giving his whole body and the cruel way that his body was tortured for us. Father, we take the fruit of the vine. We're reminded of Jesus' blood that was poured out for our forgiveness. God, we thank you for him. We lift him up now, and we, we pray that you'll forgive us for the times that we've been ashamed, for the times that we've taken back our life and done things our way and chose our path versus what's best for you and Jesus and our families and our friends. Forgive us and give us a new start. Thank you for this time that we can remember Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.